it's better to try than to talk about. I had mm. so many great ideas over the years that I never bothered to realize that mm. could have been great ahead of their time and so on. Who didn't think of the iPhone or this or that? Yes, everybody had, you know, similar things in their mind where they said, oh yeah, this could be great. Mm. The difference is always in the execution. So there has to be a bias for action. Do it earlier. It doesn't have to be perfect, but do it. Hey everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Devin Miller, the serial entrepreneur that's grown several uh, startups into seven and eight figure businesses, as well as a CEO and founder of Miller IP Law, where he helps startups and small businesses with their patents and trademark. If you ever need help with yours, just go to strategymeeting.com and grab some time to strategize with us. Now, today we have another great guest on the podcast, Markelos, and I'm going to slaughter your last name, so I'm not going to Dealerinos. That's very good. <laughs> All right, it's, that's as close as I'm going to get. So, so Markelos, um, you're close to is... perfection, Devin. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Markelos was has been an entrepreneur, I guess, for at least the last three years, or really dived into it. But started out really before that as a as an entrepreneur in the software, right out of business, loved it. Um, but uh, there were things that he figured out that he didn't know were lots of things that he had yet to learn. And so went out to get a bit of experience with uh, bigger businesses, um, started to, in software development with some also with some smaller businesses, kind of got that Worked for Microsoft for a period of time, got the software development side of it, and then shifted over to marketing, did marketing, which helped to kind of uh, combine the marketing side as well as technical skills. Um, and then the uh, he started to uh, look for ability to go out, branch out, do his own thing after hitting his ceiling and started the company he's at now with his co-founder. So with that much as an introduction, I'm sure Mark or Markellos will tell us all the additional details. Welcome onto the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Devin. It's a pleasure to be here. And yes, your pronunciation is great. Remember that uh, I am, uh, I do come from Greece and my name Usually it gets a much worse treatment from my compatriots. So kudos to you. You did very, very well. Well, fair enough. Well, I'll take that as a compliment because that's uh, most of the time I slaughter names just like the next person. So so now with that, dive. let's dive into a little bit of your journey. Tell us a little bit about kind of coming out with college, kind of having the entrepreneurial bent, but also wanting to kind of go out and increase your skill sets, kind of uh, start us off on your journey. Thank you. And... Uh... Oh, I, I love talking about my journey. There are so many things that shape us. And, you know, when you look back into your journey of a lifetime, pretty much, mm. I'm not very young anymore. It's, um, it's interesting to see all those um, twists and turns that made you who you are today. Mm. So, yes, I did graduate from um, computer science. And, uh, you know, my major back in the day was in computer graphics. And my actual master's was in virtual reality. And that was way back in 1996 when uh, I, was, uh, I was doing virtual reality on a computer that was probably the size of a very small fridge. It wasn't an iPhone back in the day. And I remember that we had to get the university to order some extra texture memory, another 32 megabytes. And that was so expensive to get another 32 megabytes. Mm. It's crazy stuff when you consider that now you have, I don't know, gigabytes, I guess, in your phone. Exactly. So I did start as a computer engineer because I loved computers. And this was one of my very early learnings that it took me very long to realize though what it was. I love coding and I'm a great coder. I think that coding is a form of art. 
mm. and you know you, you put your best out there and really sometimes with ex-colleagues when i look at their code you can immediately tell who wrote that code because mm. it is that personal but there is always a confusion between um, skills and professions right mm. being a good coder being a great coder actually doesn't make me a great developer because mm. there's this difference to be a coder you need to be this spirit you know look at the big picture be quick on your feet think about like to integrate like to analyze like to do all those things but to be a great developer though it requires that you are a rule follower because you can't go and do your own thing all the time right you have to mm. follow the rules set by others if you want to work in tandem with other people mm. you have to be more serious than enthusiastic because most projects as you may have noticed take several years to finish and mm. I was the kind of guy who would love the challenge, who would go do the hardest parts first, and then I would hate everything else. <laughs> so I spent about 10 years of my career trying to figure out why I didn't love coding. I'd change from company to company and you know, do a bit coding here, software architecture there and so on. So, and give us yeah. a little bit of an idea. So, I mean, 10 years is a good jump. So where did you, did you, because I think when we talked before, but get me, you can correct me where I'm wrong, that you kind of wanted to be an entrepreneur and you did that for a bit of time out of college and then decided you had to go get your, you know, wanted to get additional business skills you didn't have. Is that right? Or kind that's, of what was that also, transition out of college? That's also true. You know, I worked a bit after college and I did my own firm, which was mm -hmm. great. Mm. I was uh, doing some of the coding. I was dreading some of it and mm. I was loving some of the business parts. Mm. And as I was moving ahead and I saw that I was sometimes knocking my head against the wall because there were so many things that I just didn't know how to manage and trying to wear all these hats without having the experience, it didn't work. Mm. And remember that as a single entrepreneur, actually we were two partners. It was so hard. You had to do pretty much everything. And that's when I said that that's fine, but Let's see if I can get more experience by becoming a manager in coding. And this is where I start my journey to say, let's learn about this. And I went and started working for companies. And, you know, I coded a bit. I managed a bit of coding and things like that. None of it really fulfilled me as much as I wanted. And that's when I started reinforcing that and said, yeah, it, it looks like business is my thing, right? Mm. And sometimes when you are in this technology world, you see people who are great at technology. You see people who are great at business you mm. rarely see people who have a firm grasp of both. Mm. So I didn't have a firm grasp of both. I was really good at technology. So I said, let's go and get some better education in terms of business. So, you know, at the time I joined Microsoft, I worked with Microsoft for a number of years, different roles originally as a coder, later as a, a product manager. Mm. And that also gave me the opportunity, and I'm always thankful to Microsoft for that, for sponsoring my MBA. So I mm. got the opportunity to do my MBA at the UW, and I always like to say that uh, MBAs are for lazy people like me <laughs> because they give you no knowledge that you couldn't get otherwise, right? Everything is mm. in the books and you even get the syllabus. Mm. Sitting down to learn things like HR, accounting, I would never, ever do it on my own volition. I'd mm. hate it. But it was a required asset. It's... Mm. It's required that you understand accounting if you want to move ahead in business. You have to understand um, HR. You have to know about affirmative action. You have to think about strategy. All these things, this is what you get in an MBA. Mm. So, so you now, so now you're doing Microsoft. You, you know, you've both you've taken the opportunity to get some skills there. 
get, you know, see a bit more of the business side, you know, work or, you know, make or get some of the things that you maybe didn't learn initially in college, especially as you go into software and engineering, they don't ever teach the business side. They teach you how to do the programming. They teach you how to do some of the other stuff, but business is really not taught. And I would say that's, you know, a bit of an issue or fallacy with most business or most degrees in the sense, even unless you do go get the business degree in MBA and even that, I don't know that you always get the skills, but you, so you go get the MBA, you get a bit of the, the big business skills, you, you learn how they do it. And then you make a transition. I think you said over to marketing. Is that right? So as you're doing that, Let's you say, try. Hey, I want to look or work in a bit of marketing. So maybe Phil said, how was the transition from going more from the engineering side to the marketing side? What skills did you pick up and how did that help prepare you going forward? Um, it's, it's always a tough change because mm. it requires a shift in the way you're thinking. And interestingly enough, once you go to school, what they taught me in computer science school, and I studied mm. in Germany, but I think it's pretty much the same everywhere. In, mm. At the university, they don't teach you how to code. I mean, mm. I think we had one class in coding and that was even elective. They teach you how to think. And that's mm. the thing that you take away. Interestingly enough, once you go to business school, they also teach you how to think but think differently, right? The mm. business thinking and the engineering thinking are, are different ways of looking at sometimes even the same problems. Mm. So I, I got the MBA and that gave me the opportunity to move um, you know, internally within Microsoft. And there I was as one of my first roles being the security product manager for Internet Explorer. That was back in the day when we were releasing Internet Explorer 7. And mm. I don't know if you remember, but Internet Explorer 7 didn't have, uh, a, a, uh, wasn't known for being robust in its security features. So mm. how do you start from zero and how do you start building up and saying, hey, no, you know, we got our act together now. We've gotten things that work and we really care about customers after you mm. haven't done something for the most part of, I think it was five or six years back in the day. Mm. It was an interesting challenge. And it's also amazing, and this is one of the things that I love when I worked at Microsoft, that you got an audience of like 3 billion users. I got from, you know, mm. having five customers or coding for a team of 50 to now having 3 billion potential customers that I was talking to. And, and that's awesome. This is, uh, you know, the muscle that some of those big companies bring. Mm. It's amazing. And you learn how to deal with that scale and how you can still influence things whether the scale is tiny or whether the scale is huge, as mm. is in the case of Microsoft. So I did uh, some of that and I was loving some of it. I was hating being part of a large company. And mm. I think Microsoft at the time was a pretty decent one, mm. but it was as large a company as a large company can be. Mm. And um, as you lay your plans, uh, things happen that you don't expect, like getting married. And then all of a sudden your wife says, hey, I don't really love it here. Let's go move someplace else. And it's important mm. to keep priorities in life. So what is it that actually makes you happy? It's not just mm. the work or Microsoft or tech. It mm. has to be a mix of everything. So if you keep your eye on the mix, you're always going to end up being happy and content. If you lose sight of it, Mm. You'll just end up airing on either side, right? You can put too much on your personal life, too much on your professional life. You can always get it wrong. So mm. that's how I ended up uh, back in uh, Greece, in Athens. So where now, I started... now, one question. So when, you, when your wife says, hey, I don't want to live here anymore. Let's go do something else. You moved to Greece. Did you leave Microsoft at that time? Did you have a 
plan to keep working for them? Did you say, hey, here's my opportunity to go be my own entrepreneur, do start my own thing? But so how did you kind of make that transition to saying, okay, we're going to move, we're going to go do something? Interestingly different? enough, um, Microsoft said, hey, why don't you stick with us for a while? And I was like, no, 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 I'm going to be too far away. My wife actually stayed for Microsoft for almost another 10 years after that. And she was working remotely for most part. So you see that you can have different solutions to the same problems. But at the time I was feeling that being part of something so big was wearing me down. So I wanted to try something smaller mm. and that gave me the opportunity to go. And I joined, a, I think that at the time it was a startup when I left, it was like a 400 person company, um, a startup in um, mobile marketing, which mm. is a completely different uh, arena again, but where your final audience is again, huge, where you're running campaigns for hundred million users for 300 million users in uh, Brazil for 100 million people in Indonesia. It's pretty cool stuff. Mm. So, so, and you know, go ahead. No. So, so I just can say, so you decided, hey, I, they offered, I'm going to decide, here's where I make my break. I'm going to do, there's a lot of cool stuff going on. I'm going to do something different. So, how did you then make the transition to starting your own business or figuring out what you're going to do or what's, what are you going to do next as you're moving and as you're getting things set up? I spent um, at this startup, I was, well, company by that time. I spent mm. almost 10 years, 11 years, which is a very, very long time for me. But um, if you're in a small company that's evolving with you, then it's actually fun. So I started doing one thing. And I think over the 10 uh, next years, I probably were doing five or six different things. Every other year, something mm. would happen. Things would change. There would be new challenges, new markets. And that kept me interesting until after some point, I reached a, a stage where I wasn't getting much much new, not being challenged. And this is one of the main things about what I believe is successful entrepreneurs. They like challenges. They like to solve problems. Mm -hmm. And when I see myself successful is I go somewhere, I find a problem, I solve it and I set it up so that it doesn't require me anymore to run. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I set this all up. I kind of exhausted the areas where I could be and I, I reached my ceiling, so mm -hmm. to say, within that organization. Mm -hmm. And that problem is to say, I really need to find what's next. And mm. that, you know, goes full circle back to my early issues. Why I couldn't from a great programmer become a great developer. And then looking at all those years working with people, all the hires I've made, and I had the opportunity to hire people literally across the world. I hired people in the US, in Canada, in South America, Brazil, Argentina, all the way to Africa and Vietnam. So once you do that and you try to hire in these places, you realize that your usual hiring process, the things you know that you anchor upon when you mm. look at candidates and resumes, they don't work. What I learned for Europeans and Americans didn't work in Brazil, didn't work in Africa, and definitely did not work in Vietnam. So after many bad interviews, unfortunately, with people who came to me and I said, this is a waste of time for me. It's a waste of time for the candidate. This person should have never been here. Why can't I find the right people? And, you know, I was talking with HR a lot and they were saying, here's a stack of resumes. Take your pick. And you realize quickly that you can't always find truth in resumes. There mm. are so many things that are important. And a resume can, to an extent, assuming that it's truthful, tell me if you have the skills, 
but can you tell me if you have the personality for the role? If you look mm -hmm. at my resume or if you actually measure my skill in coding, you think this person is awesome, pretty soon you're going to say that I'm a lousy developer mm -hmm. if you were hiring me for that. So that was kind of the impulse to go and say, hey, let's figure out a better solution. And the impulse, you know, it's so much better when it's shared. So this mm -hmm. is where my co-founders come in. I think there's nothing more valuable in any startup than people. And it starts with the co-founders. These were the people who looked at the same problem and said, yeah. And they brought different perspectives to the same problem. Actually, mm -hmm. one of our co-founders, he's a psychologist by training. And he said, no, 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 there are methods for this. We should say what, see what science says and do that. I was saying, okay, let's figure out how we could sell this and why this, there is a niche in the market for this. And there was our third co-founder who's technical and who said, easy peasy, I'll get this coded in what ended up being three years, but he said like in a week at the time. Mm. So, and so when you guys, you, you kind of identified, okay, you're working in a business at the time, at the same time, man, it's just hard to get good employees, good people that, that are going to fit the bill and do the work and do it how you want. And so you have kind of the, the kernel of the idea that, hey, maybe we should go do or do the startup do our own business it's uh, for hiring and you know how to find the the right employees how to do that assessment how to make the matches did you jump all in did you guys you and your or co-founders and that leave your jobs and start in it did it start as a side hustle is it still a side hustle or kind of how did you or how did you get to where you're at having three co-founders helps so for one of us it was a side hustle uh, one of our co-founders said hey i i love this here are ideas i'll even give you some money you guys go do it for the other two of us, it became a main enterprise. And I think it's so much harder to do things as a side hustle. You mm. know, every so often you're going to find uh, one, um, one startup that came up about um, this super fantastic idea, which just took off by itself. However, 95% of the time startups are successful because of great execution. And, you know, mm. we have an idea. The idea has been implemented several times in the market. It wasn't something unknown. We took the idea, we evolved it. And sometimes, you know, when you have this confluence of things, the time is just right. You have enough technology. People are at the right cognitive place in terms of thinking about these things. Mm. Everything just aligns. And then uh, with all these things, we said, okay, let's go and do it. We still need to execute perfectly. Any success that we've had so far, wasn't just because we had a fantastic idea, mm. is because we have an awesome execution. And here's one thing that I'm always going to emphasize. I keep saying it probably in every other meeting if you ask our team. Excellence doesn't require perfection. Being excellent, doing something awesome and world-changing doesn't mean that you're doing something perfect. Mm. No, and I think that, that there's a lot of wisdom in that. Now, one question that I had as you were chatting, so because you, you said that, you know, two of you kind of were all in, you were doing, you know, you went in, um, this was your full-time endeavor and, and really weren't doing it as a side hustle. You also said that it took, you know, two or three years to really get through the programming, get it all built up and running. So how were you guys did you or supporting yourself to, during that time? Did you have some clients? Did you have savings? Did you have investment dollars or kind of how did you support yourselves or get, as you got the business up and going? You know how startups are. They live milestone to milestone. So we started with a very small fund to develop a first proof of concept to say that, you know, it could happen. Then uh, we showed this and we started getting some angel money. And with that angel money, we were able to hire a team of 
psychologists because the most important thing in what we're doing was to have solid science behind it. We got that leaked. You know, once you have that milestone, you can get the next round of angel money and say, okay, now I'm going to do my MVP. And then you go and you start getting some money. Once we had the MVP uh, running enough that it looks like a viable business, we were able to get the first institutional investors. And here, this is where we are today, where we had the round of uh, funding from an institutional inv investor, Big Pie, one of the VC firms based out of um, Europe, has mm. actually been great in supporting us in moving forward with our vision. Mm. So, and so now with that, so you got some of the investment, you're able to uh, keep, uh, you know, the lights on, get, have a paycheck for a period of time as you're now hitting your milestones, you're getting things up and running. Now, when you finally got the, the product programmed out, you got it launched and you got things going, you know, how has that gone? Is it, do you have customers and clients? Is it still a slow build? Is it a bit of quick build? Is it still one where too early to tell or kind of how has that gone? That's a good question. What is a slow build? So what is the benchmark against which every entrepreneur has to measure themselves? And that's a very open-ended question, right? So mm -hmm. I think in our first year, we went from literally zero to a quarter of a million in ARR, which mm -hmm. we think is a decent performance. Mm -hmm. We think we could have done better. Mm -hmm. During that year, we made a lot of mistakes. And remember, we're an experienced team. We're not even the first timers here. All mm. of us who've been involved have had experience in one way or another. This is not a you know, 25-year-old startup. We still made mistakes. It's a new arena. It's a new game. It's a new place. And we learned. And we got to where we are. Now we have, an, you know, every year we want to do at least a 5x. Mm. We think that's a great goal. And we'll keep on pursuing that. No, I, I, that's a great goal. And it's great that you're starting, you know, because some businesses you spend, you know, two or three years getting the product up and going, starting or figuring it all out, getting it all built out, and then you launch it and you don't have any sales or you have such dismal sales that it really doesn't go anywhere. And then it's, you know, a bit demoralizing or you don't have, hey, how, how do, now you have to figure out how you're going to pivot, how you're going to adjust. So it sounds like on you guys' end, you were able to within a get the product launched, you know, you spent a bit of time, thought it was going to take a couple of weeks to program, took a little bit longer, but once you got it launched, there was demand and there was people wanting to buy it. So, so now you take, and you, and then, and then you hit on, you know, the next, you know, next or plan on continuing to grow it, continuing to double five exit, 10 exit and continue to expand it. So now with that in mind, why don't we, or, you know, I always have the two questions I ask at the end of the podcast. Why don't we jump to those? I think it's a fitting transition, which is along your journey, what was the worst business decision you ever made and what did you learn from it? Look, the most important thing in our company, any company, I think it's people. We were mm. setting OKRs last week and our first OKR is to build a great team. Mm. In the way of building a great team, we are all people and we are all sentimental. We have a tool that luckily helps us um, hire people mm. by checking not only for skills and personality, but also for culture ad. And by culture ad, I mean that it's easy to understand. An accountant that works for one of the big fives, is it now big fours? How many are left? Um, consultancies. Is not the same type of, say, accountant that would work for a startup like Brick. Once mm. you realize that, you need you understand that you need to look for more than just skills and is this person a good accountant? There are accountants who are going to thrive in a startup environment mm. and 
accountants who are going to wither in the same environment. So this was uh, our one mistake. We hired an excellent person. We didn't have the culture ad feature at the time. Mm. And that person was excellent, but not for us. You know, they, they can't survive in this environment. And it's uh, an injustice to both parties when you keep someone who's not performing optimally. And by optimally, it doesn't mean that everybody has to be a rock star. Optimally means that someone who's at least good. And that's mm. the difference, right? Everybody goes out there and looks for people who are, you know, the 2%. We don't hire the 2%. We, we assess everybody and we don't even hire necessarily the brightest of all. We hire the people who give us the most balanced package in terms of can they do the job? Do they have the skills required for the specific job? That's one. Mm. Do they have the personality required for the specific job? And do they fit into our culture? And sometimes, oh. you know, you'll give a bit of one to get the other. Someone who's going to be a lower cultural fit and be a better personality fit or whatever. But you always buy the whole package. No, and I, and I love that an idea because I think that, you know, sometimes you're gravitated to, oh, who has the best? resume from skill sets or who has a most stellar, you know, most stellar background that all oh, this is just going to be the, the perfect person. And yet, if you're negating, you're not overlooking on fit, you know, you can have the best person, but if they don't fit with the culture, and I'll give you an example that, you know, even to my end, you know, we do Miller IP law, we focus on a lot of startups and small businesses, I'm always to look to change a bit of the the legal fit or legal, you know, uh, profession, how things are done, why are they done? And I'm always questioning. And so just because you're a good attorney doesn't mean you're going to fit well with the, with the law firm or with my law firm, because we're not going to be the typical law firm. So if you're just saying, Hey, I just want to go in, be an attorney, do this way that it's been done for a hundred years and, and, you know, get in and get out. Even if you have the great skills, you're not going to be the, the, the right fit for us. And so I think that too often, to your point, people are looking just for the skills when fit has every bit as much or more of an impact on whether or not they're a good candidate. So I think that's a, a mistake, to a, an easy mistake to learn and certainly one to learn from. You're so, so right. And one additional thing that I'd like to emphasize is that hmm. a lot of times people go looking for fit. And that, when tried to an extreme, can lead to monocultures. What mm. we're trying to think is, can we have someone who's going to add to our culture? So mm. we are who we are, and this is who we would like to be. And it's interesting. We have a, a benchmarking exercise in our software where you define your culture, and then it measures mm. everybody and tells you how um, you're doing. Mm. <laughs> we're not who we would like to be. And that's fine. No one is who we would like to be. We always aspire to be better. But it's great when you can say, hey, I'm not going to hire Devin because mm. he brings all the other things, but he's going to bring this element of, I don't know, inventiveness that mm. my rest of the team are lacking. He's going to bring resilience. He's going to bring customer focus. Whatever it is that I care about, mm. I can now supplement to my team. And this is how you create a great team. Mm. No, and I think that that's, that's very insightful and very true. Well, now as we uh, go to the second question, um, which is if you're talking to someone that's just getting into a startup or a small business, what would be the one piece of advice you'd give them? Well, I gave one piece of advice, which was excellence doesn't require perfection. I'm always mm -hmm. gonna stand by that. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, I was explaining my whole journey and I said how I started and I went and got more and more and more knowledge because I wanted to avoid mistakes. And mm -hmm. you know, I needed to know more. And uh, I think I confessed earlier that I said, hey, we had our first year. It was awesome. We did so many mistakes, despite mm. all our experience. So 
even though experience teaches you how to do things, action mm. is what makes the difference. So if I had one word of advice, it's always, it's better to try than to talk about. I had mm. so many great ideas over the years that I never bothered to realize that mm. could have been great ahead of their time and so on. Who didn't think of the iPhone or this or that? Yes, everybody had, you know, similar things in their mind where they said, oh yeah, this could be great. Mm. The difference is always in the execution. So there has to be a bias for action. Do it earlier. It doesn't have to be perfect, but do it. So mm. I think if I say just do it, it's copyrighted already, but you get the meaning. <laughs> Fair enough. I, I, I doubt Nike will probably get mad at you if you just say, just do it over the podcast. So you should be good. No, but I think that there's, you know, that's interesting is, you know, done now. I think we've done over 150 episodes on the podcast. And I'd say probably, and I'd have to go back to actually double check the the biggest thing on the, the most entrepreneurs are saying is just dive in or do it earlier. You know, don't hold off. Don't wait. Too many people will wait for years or months or years. And they just, once they finally get in, dive in and they do it, they, act, they find out that they love it they enjoy it and it's the best decision they wish they'd done it earlier or they never get going and then you always have that regret so i think just diving in doing it getting going is is probably the best there's there's, there's a lot of wisdom there well as we wrap up as people are wanting to learn more they're wanting to use your product they're wanting to be an employee they're wanting to be an investor they're wanting to be your next best friend any or all of the above what's the best way to find out more or connect up with you this is 2020 so you know the easiest way is to go up on uh, our website brick.com and you know it sounds like a brick but we spell it b-r-y-q.com mm. or uh, you can email me markelos with two l's m-a-r-k-e-l-l-o-s at brick.com i'm mm. always happy to hear and we want to support startups we even have special very very reasonable almost ridiculously priced packages for startups mm. because it's the most important thing that we can give to startups. And we love it when we give these packages to startups, they grow into awesome teams, and then we keep upselling them as they grow bigger and bigger into unicorns. So mm. yes, if you have a startup and you're wondering, man, I cannot deal with this, I'll hire whomever, I'll hire referrals. Referrals are great if you know what you're getting, not because just someone referred them. Mm. Everybody has to be treated equally. If you care about diversity and inclusion, do stop by brick.com and have a look free trials, great packages. Don't do the disservice of leaving hiring to randomness. Mm. No, I And think that's the that's... best thing that you can do for your company. That's another advice. Man, I should have changed my advice. Can I go back? Hey, I, lots of good advice. And uh, I think that's all very worthwhile. And I encourage everybody to uh, check out Brick. Um, definitely uh, a great new way to, to figure out how to hire and to get that right match and to make sure you bring on the talent that you want. Well, uh, Marcellos, it's been fun to have you on. It's been a pleasure. Now, for all of you that are listeners and uh, you have your own journey to tell and you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, feel free to apply to be on the podcast by just going to inventiveguest.com. If you are a listener, also make sure to one, click subscribe so you get notifications as all the new awesome episodes come out. And two, leave us a review so that everybody else can find or find out about the podcast as well. Last but not least, if you ever need help with patents or trademarks, feel free to go to strategymeeting.com, schedule some time with us as chat, and we'll strategize with you about protecting and growing your business. So thank you again, Marcellos. It's been a fun, it's been a pleasure, and wish the next leg of your journey even better than the last. Thank you very much for having me on, Devin. And you know, IP is one of our most valuable assets. We always care about it. So it's interesting to be talking with an IP lawyer every time. All right, well, thank you again.